sisters. We could, we could quit right now and say, boy, we've been to church, couldn't we? But well, we have something that the Lord has shared with me. I want to pick up where we were last night and go on into something that is blessed. Flows right along in with the, all the other things that have gone forth tonight. But tonight, you're... will go off in your spirit. Amen. And there's going to be some things change in your life tonight because of Jesus and his word. Some things that the Spirit of God has instructed me to share with you tonight. So let's place all of this in the hands of the Holy Ghost. Father, we praise you and we thank you for the Spirit of the living God. We praise you that the Spirit of God has been sent to lead us and guide us into all truth. And Jesus, you said to the Father, your word is truth. So we say to you, your word is truth. And we open our hearts and open our minds to be led and to be guided into it. Oh, Jesus, we see more of you. We want to be more like you. We, we're, we are just head over heels in love with you. We receive you as God's offering to us. We brought our offerings to you tonight. We receive you as the Father's offering to us. And we give you praise. And we worship you, Heavenly Father. Now open the hearts and the minds of the Word of God accurately tonight in Jesus' name, and we thank you for it. Amen. You may be seated and open your Bibles again to the book of Hebrews. I, I pray when I preach concerning accuracy, I want to be used of God to deliver the Word accurately, but hear it accurately. I heard Charles Capps comment on that one time. He said, you can say the right words if somebody hears them wrong. Um, you know, you, you, you still got a problem. A little boy in Sunday school and the teacher said that Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. He said, that ain't nothing. My mama looked back and turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, what they said was right, both of them. But they, they missed, you know, one going one way, one going the other. So ever since I heard Charles say that, I prayed that the people hear it as accurately as, as the anointing to preach it. Praise God. How many of you were here last night? Now see, oh, glory to God. Praise the Lord. How many of you were not here last night? Ooh, glory. I want you to know we had church last night. We'll reiterate for the benefit of those that weren't here a little bit and then we'll flow right on in to the word of God tonight. We're talking about inheriting the promises. We know from the word of God in 2 Peter chapter 1 that the Bible said that God has been the godliness whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we become partakers of the divine nature. The very divine life of God is in his word. The entrance of his word bringeth light. The entrance of his word bringeth life. And so from the book of Hebrews, we're studying and talking about inheriting the promises. Or, you know, you could say inheriting the divine life of God. Now let's go back to that sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews and let's start reading again with the 10th verse. <clears throat> 
For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence. Now pick up on that. The same diligence with which you worked and labored of love, see, toward his name. The same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end for when... Uh, excuse me. Uh, hope to the end that you be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, he was appointed, as you read in the first chapter of the book, Hebrews, heir of all things. And the Bible accepted him as our Lord and our personal Savior, our joint heirs with him, heirs of God. And then last night we read from the third chapter of the book of Galatians, where it said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, and then the 29th, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, or in other words, receive those things that the Spirit promised Abraham, which included receiving the Spirit. Then in the 29th verse, and if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Dead, as far as the legal side of it was concerned, as far as God's concerned, as far as heaven was concerned, you, God's joint heir with Jesus, inherited all his assets, all his ability, all his freedom, and at that from the dead, as far as God was concerned, there was no reason for any man or woman ever again to come under bondage to Satan because as far as God's concerned, you're free. You're not any more under Satan's dominion than Jesus is. Now, as we act on those promises and stand on those promises, the very divine life of God is on the inside of us, the same as in these promises. And when we feed these into our spirit man, as the faith of God, the life of God, the grace of God, and the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. You remember a couple of nights ago we read all those scriptures through the New Testament? Faith of God, the faith of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the grace of God and found out the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It's in there. You've got enough power in you, my brother and sister, to move mountains into the sea. The problem area comes between the time that you release that force that's on by believing and confessing and acting upon that precious, exceeding, great, promise and the time that the inheritance of that promise becomes a reality. In the natural, you could compare it to the death and that left a will and the property that belonged to the man then was transferred to the people in the will because it was promised, right? That's a promise. 
That's his last will and testament. His will went on paper and it is his desire, his will, that person that when I die, this is yours. Now, during the time of the death certificate officiated, the court and the attorneys read the will, there has to be a transfer of property, and if it was a car, then the title has to be changed from his name to hers, into his. The title deed to the house had to be changed from his name to hers, or from her name to his. You see that period of time in there? Now, in the spirit realm, when you're acting on God's word, many times, heaven says it done, it's done, the devil says, no, it isn't. Now, in the case of the natural, here's a man that wrote a will, he died, they began to probate the will, but all of a sudden, here comes somebody knocking on the door. Y'all don't know me, but he's my daddy too. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. I got some paper filed in the courthouse down part of this will. And you're not getting any till I get mine. And just mess up the whole thing. What happens? Nobody gets anything. You got to fight on. Come to find out, some turkey read it in the paper. Decided he'd just make a claim. Might get some of it. Maybe they'll pay me something, you know, to keep from having to go to court. Don't that sound like the devil? He knows he can't take your healing away from you, but he'll try. The only attribute he's got is he's the same yesterday and today and forever, just like Jesus. He's a thief and he's a liar and he's a killer. And he's persistent. He stays on the job until you run him off in the name of Jesus. Act on that promise. Until the manifestation of it comes, there comes the good fight of faith. Most particularly and most of the time, it's when it has something to do with something in this natural, physical, material, flesh world. Now, when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, there wasn't a thing in the world the devil could do to keep humans in hell, couldn't keep you from getting born again. Did you ever stop and think about that? That'll prove to you right there that he don't. He doesn't have any power. If he could have, he'd have killed you 10 seconds before you got saved. He doesn't have any power. Now, he had to wait till after you got born again and then come in there and tell you you didn't get it. See? Now, what he's going to try to do is break your testimony, stealing your health, stealing your mind, stealing your, your, your affairs and, and things that are around you in this natural physical world. If you keep him over in the arena of faith and keep him over in the spirit realm using the weapons of your warfare, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. He's down. Keep him in the arena of faith. Don't let him get you back over in the arena of feelings. Don't let him get you back over there. Well, why don't you feel and see if you heal? Why don't you look at your foot and see if it's still bruised? Why don't you look this morning and see? I mean, you was in that prayer line last night. Why don't you look and see if you got anything? See, he's trying this material realm again. Just keep him over there in that spirit realm. Just keep him over there. So, no, no, no. You come tell me, you lying 
frog. You come in here and tell me that I'm not going to get my healing when Jesus already got it for me. It's already mine. How am I going to go out and get something already belonged to me? Well, why don't you feel it's mine? I don't have to feel and see if that's my car. I don't have to feel and see if this is my coat. It's mine, bless God. I bought and paid for it. Amen? Mr. Devil, that healing's mine. You're not going to take that away from me. You understand that? Now, you just get on out here. I don't have to feel and see if I'm healed. I don't have to look and see if I'm healed. Because, now here's the key to it, see. By the, through faith and patience, inherit that divine power. Because, by his stripes, ye were healed. Said that yesterday. It said it today when I got up. It'll say it tomorrow when I got up. It'll say it tomorrow night when I go to bed. It'll say it the next day and the next day. And 18,000 years from now, when you are in the lake of fire, and when I look off over at that lake of fire and say, <laughs> it still says it. And you're right where the book said you'd be. And if he goes to try to bring up your past, now this is usually where he whips you. If he tries to bring up your past, yeah, but you just think about what you did yesterday and what you said, and you ain't been fasting enough. Any other time, he wouldn't mention fasting to you. You hadn't been praying enough. Oh, dub, 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 dub. Say, hey, let me tell you something. First place, my past is none of your business. You're not my God. My past is Jesus' business. Now, he and I'll take care of this. He's forgotten about it, and all there is left of my past is a memory, and in the name of Jesus, I'm placing that under the blood. Now, if you want to talk about the past, let's talk about yours. <laughs> you are the ultimate failure and along about here's the time to say, be eligible. <laughs> Father of flies. <laughs> and like Jerry Seville said one day, and while we're at it, let's talk about the future. You ain't got any. You still got the 10th chapter of Hebrews there? Are you ready? We're going to launch out tonight. <laughs> Glory to God. Shouting territory. Verse 13. When God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, of a certainty, blessing, I will bless thee. The word bless in covenant context means I swear all of my ability all of my assets all of my power and all the favor that I have with anybody else or grace you could call it all the pull, in other words, that I have in, in, in my life, I 
promise you I will use it to empower you to prosper. That's what the word bless means in covenant conduct. God stood in the blood of those animals that night swearing to Abraham in blood so Abraham had never, never doubted again. He looked up into the stars and and, he, and God promised him a son and all that. But when God said, I'm going to give you all this land, that, that, that blew his mind. It got out beyond what he could mentally handle. He couldn't, I mean, <laughs> dear God, how's he going to do that? And he said to God, how can I know? God said, prepare me the covenant. Well, then Abraham knew. He knew what he was going to do. He's about to walk in blood and swear to bless me. He's going to swear to use all of his power to prosper me. Now, in covenant context, the curse is when the covenant is broken, I'm going to, you, you lie to me, or if I lie to you, then all my power will go towards seeing to it that you are cursed or empowered to fail. What the word curse means. Now, since God swore by himself since there was no higher authority in which to swear, he is saying to Abraham, if I ever break this covenant, then all of my power will turn on me until I'm destroyed. Man, oh man, oh man. Now can you understand why God demanded Abraham to offer up his firstborn son, Because once he did, God was covenant bound to offer up his firstborn son. No way to get out of it because his covenant brother had done the same. He is locked in. That's the reason he did it to start with. The reason he did all this to start with was to lock it in, in blood, so that in the Garden of Gethsemane that night when Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, God in all of his heart of love. If, it hadn't been any, if there hadn't been a blood covenant with Abraham, God would have said, well, all right, come on home. Bless God, get out of the way of that bunch. I'll destroy the whole mess. Bam! He started to do that where Moses was concerned. Do you remember that? I mean, any of you folks remember that in the Bible? He told Moses, he said, I'm gonna wipe them all out but you. I'm gonna get rid of this whole mess. Moses got right up in his face. Can you imagine anybody talking to God like that? Got right up in his face, but he didn't come to him in the name of Moses. He came to him in the name of that blood covenant he had with Abraham and said, you remember your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You ain't wiping out anybody. You know what the Bible said? God repented. I mean, that bunch really pushed him, you know. God, they must have pushed him. Can you imagine that? I mean, it made him mad, boy. But Moses, based on that covenant, see, he wasn't in there on, in his own name. He's standing in that blood, reminding God. There's a blood covenant. And Abraham offered up his son Isaac. And your promises to him and to his son and to his son for a thousand generations, and you can't break it. Bible said God repented. In other words, he changed his mind. He backed out. Said, well, all right. 
We'll go a different direction here. <laughs> Amen. Now see, you and I don't need to change God's mind because all that's been settled since then in the blood of Jesus. We don't need to change God's mind. That isn't it. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you somebody you do need to change his mind. That's the devil. Just put that sword up there to him. Say, listen, I want to remind you of the blood that defeated you at Calvary. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I resist you and command you to flee. And just go to praising God and say, I want you to know, I believe in the operation of God. I believe in the resurrection of God. I believe in the blood of the Lamb. And, and in the name of Jesus, by that blood and my testimony, I overcome him. Huh? See, you could, are you catching on to what, what the covenant is all about? Now, David made a covenant with Jonathan. You remember that? They had a blood covenant with one another. And the Bible said their hearts were knit together. They exchanged battle garments. They exchanged clothing. They exchanged vows. They exchanged everything. And everything was Jonathan was David's and everything was David was Jonathan's. And then Jonathan and Saul got killed. And later David is king and there's something working on the inside of him. I mean, it is, it's tearing him up. He's walking around. And in the Jewish language, it's the same word translated agape in the Greek language, which is translated will love, covenant love, power love. Has nothing whatever to do with what you can do for me. It is I will love you. I have sworn I'm going to love you. And I love you whatever you are. See? Nobody knew what that meant in Greek until Jesus came and preached on it. The Greek people didn't even use it. When he said it to Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter didn't know what he's talking about. He said, yeah, I love you, but he used another word for love. He didn't even know what he's talking about. Will love. I love you because I said I would. Ain't nothing you can do to change it. One way or the other. You can either receive that love or turn it down. But I love you anyhow because I promised your daddy I would. That's literally what it stands for, see. And, and this thing is in, in David driving him to give. Now, this is what we've never understood about God. Particularly the Gentile mind has had the idea that God's standing here doing everything he can to keep everybody out of heaven that he can keep out of there. Just the least little old thing. Bam! You ain't never coming back. Send you to hell, you dirty dog, you. No, 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 no. That's just the opposite from what he's doing. Amen? See, he's, he has this will love, this agape, this seed on the inside of him. There's something down in there that's so strong to give that it drives him to give. And that's in you if you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And as we begin to praise God in our giving, that drive will begin to rise up on the inside of us and the compassion of God begins to function and begins to flow. And I want to tell you folks, you know, ain't nobody knows what abundance is that that thing goes into operation. That's what created the universe. We got a spaceship out there, been out there 25 years and just barely getting out on the edge of this solar system. Everybody's so excited. Oh! You got the power in you that created the thing. If you knew how to use it, 
You can create one too. The Bible said God created the heavens and the earth through wisdom and understanding. He knows a whole lot more about faith than you and I do. <laughs> but the principles are the same. Are you listening to me now? And our little old galaxy is just one of a hundred billion galaxies. And your blood brother caused it all. He's covenanted to you in blood. That whole thing out there is just because he loved you so much, he just couldn't hold back. Wow, oh, let that be light. And there it went. Three, I mean, 186,000 miles a second. And the thing is still expanding at the speed of light after all these years. That's your blood brother. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, David said... Is there nobody left that's kin to Jonathan and Saul to whom I may show this exceeding kindness and mercy that's in me? Driving the man up the wall. He's pacing the floor. He is the king of Israel and the most powerful king on earth. And he's walking the floor because he's wanting to give. Jonathan's on his heart so heavy and so strong. Is there none of his kinfolks left? Is there none of his kinfolks left? And one of his servants said, Yeah, Mephibosheth's over there at Lodibar. Oh, he said, Go get him. Went over and got him a little cripple boy that had been lied to and said David was a monster living off over there in the Lodibar, living off over there among nomads and, and what, you, what today would be known as a guerrilla tribe, man, and no allegiance to anybody. Little cripple boy had been dropped as a baby when the Philistines uh, and had attacked and the report came out that Saul and Jonathan had been killed. She, the, the nanny was running out of the palace as hard as she could and she forgot Mephibosheth, ran back, jerked him out of, the, out of his crib and stumbled and fell and made a paraplegic out of him. He couldn't walk. And of course, David got blamed for all that. And they go get him and he's thinking, dear God, they found me. Oh, what are they going to do to me? See, his granddad had lied to that household. Saul had lied to that household about David. He said, he'll eat you like a monster. And David's walking the floor. And he got, he got in there, and he just fell over in the floor and said, I'm a dirty dog. David didn't even pay attention to it. And said, this man will eat at my table all the rest of his life. He turned around to his, the servant, Ziba, and he, said, he used to be Saul's servant. He said, you and your household, you go and you till this man's land. said, I've saved all of Saul's land, all of Jonathan's land, all of his money, everything that belonged to him. said, I've kept it, in, I've kept it for him. It's his now. Here he is, a wealthy man. Been living off down that man like a monkey. And all this time, he's a rich man. Didn't know it. You know, over our cussing David because he's sitting on his daddy's throne. I ought to be sitting on that throne. Hadn't been for that sucker, I wouldn't be crippled today. And all the time, he's a rich man. Didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. He didn't have anything to do with it. He didn't earn a nickel worth of it. It was because of that blood agreement between David and Jonathan and this drive in Jonathan to give. So when he came in there, David said, yeah, and when you, when you work all of his crops and you put his money in the bank, in other words, he don't spend his money. I 
take care of it. Put that ermine coat of the prince on him. Probably threw away his old stick crutches. Got him some golden crutches. <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. Somebody got him up the next morning wanting to know what he want for breakfast. And boy, I mean, he can't hardly believe this. What did I do to get this? Nothing. Just shut up and say thank you. Now, I said all that because I wanted you to see two things. One, he didn't gain possession of all of that the day he got there. He already possessed it. He just didn't know it because of a covenant between his father and this king. Now, you, put, you had all the possessions of Jesus all your life. I had them all my life. But I didn't say yes until 1962. I kept saying no. God kept offering to me, and I kept saying no. And all the preachers told me that I didn't have nothing coming. I mean, they lied to me the way Saul lied to Mephibosheth, see? They told me I couldn't have anything. Well, I thought, dear God, I don't want to have nothing to do with them Christian people. I mean, I was raised with them. I mean, you know, they talk about your mama being in the church every time the door opened. My mama had a key. <laughs> I mean, we was always in church for one reason or another. We was in that church all the time, man. I hated it. And then I got out, of, got out of that. I mean, you know, in my opinion, in my opinion, Baptist is bad enough. I wasn't having no fun among them. And I finally told my mama, I ever get bigger than you, I ain't never coming back. Do you understand that? And I was ignoramus enough to carry out that dumb statement. But dear Lord, mama got the Holy Ghost praying for me. And you know the Baptists sing, oh, for a thousand tongues to tell, you know. But you just get one more tongue and see what happens. <laughs> now, thank God for the Baptists. Amen. I mean, they're more Baptists than they are people. Thank God for the Baptists, brother. I mean, but heaven would be scarcely populated if it hadn't been for the Baptists. They want more people to God than anybody in the world, I guess. See? But Mama was relieved of her duty. It's Sunday school teaching anything else around there, you know. And uh, any time we went back over at that Baptist church, there was no room in the inn. <laughs> I mean, man, the end of the pew. So we had to go elsewhere. And mom and daddy got involved with full gospel people. I didn't know the difference between Pentecostal people and Baptist people, except I thought Pentecostals made noise and the others didn't. I didn't know what, I didn't know the doctrinal difference between them. Still don't know much. I just found out a fanatic, somebody loves God more than you do. But I got to looking at this bunch. Now here I am grown and married by now. I got to looking at this bunch. Mama's coming at me all the time. Now you got to go to church with me. Oh, Mama, I don't want you. Yeah, now I want you to go. Uh, Mama, who cleans your clothes? <laughs> who washed your shirt? Uh, here we go. Now she's going to con me in it, you know, and, and just belittle me till I got to go at least for a few minutes. I go in there and sit down 
For about 15 minutes, and then I go outside and walk around all over the place, smoke a half a pack of cigarettes while I lay in there hollering and shouting and carrying on. <laughs> Sit there by her and have a nicotine wall-eyed fit. <laughs> and the whole time I'm thinking, I don't want to mess with this bunch. Every time I walk in the door, they tell me what I can't have. Can't have anything. Dear Lord, I'll never fly another airplane I get to messing around this boat. Not only that, my wife's going to look like something funny. <laughs> I've got a good-looking wife. People admire my wife. I'm proud to be seen with my wife. I love my wife. I don't want, I don't want this bunch to get their hands on her. <laughs> she look like an old unpainted can that you find out in the woods somewhere. Now, if you don't wear makeup, I'm not knocking you, daughter, but back then I'd knock you bad. <laughs> that's between you and the Lord about what the way you dress. That's between you and the Lord and your husband. It ain't none of my business and it ain't no other preacher's business. You dress for God and your husband and you, you, you're going to come out just fine. Amen. But back that in, I didn't understand that. You know that? I could just see me walking in, you know, my suit pressed real well, and here come this old-looking thing walking in behind me, <laughs> holding her head down. I didn't want any part of that. And I see that's the devil lying to me. The devil's telling me all that stuff, just like he told Mephibosheth all that stuff. And all this time, all that heaven had to offer was being offered to me every time I got up every morning. Every birthday, Mama sent me another Bible. <laughs> being offered to me all this time. I didn't have any idea. Now I want to look at this from another side. What if Mephibosheth had been digging through his daddy's belongings and had found a copy written down of the covenant between Jonathan and David. Now suppose he had. Here's this sworn blood oath. David had a big old scar across his wrist. Sworn blood oath, and he found it in his, in his daddy's belongings. It's tucked away in a trunk in there somewhere. Ain't nobody thought anything about it because Saul had told them all what a bad man David was. He's a liar and a cheat and a killer and a thief. But what if he found that and thought, well, now somebody's lying here. This, this, is, this is a written blood covenant. I'm a Hebrew. I know what blood covenants mean. Most sacred thing on earth. Second only to the blood covenant between God and my father Abraham. What if he'd picked that up and headed off to Israel with it? Came up there and said, I want to see the king. Somebody said, well, who are you? Little nobody. I'm that fellow's son. Jonathan, my father. Oh, you're the They've been hearing David rant and rave up there for days. Is there nobody left that I can show Hasid to? 
You better come on in here, boy, right now. Come on. Get him in there. And he walks up to David with this. Do you think it would have insulted David for him to make demands on him? Only if he's dishonest. Only if he's covetous, which God is not. Amen. It doesn't make God put out or put away or in any other way insulted when you take the word of his covenant to you because it's in the blood of his own son. And this exceeding great and precious promise indwelt covenant copy that are called the New Testament that you carry around with you is God's offering to you. God's guarantee to you. Now where the problem comes in, the promises are greater than your mental ability to handle it. We've been lied to. We've been told the strangest stories about what God can't do, God won't do, you can't do, and you won't do. It's passed away, give away, you know. Somebody said, well, all that healing stuff passed away. What day? Did it just kind of gradually quit? Or what day did they come down and say, now you better get everybody in here tonight because midnight tonight, brother, I mean, she is all over. Well, it died with the last apostle. I'd like to know what the last apostle had to do with it. It ain't based on the apostles. It's based on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And he ain't passed away. And it ain't gonna pass away till he does pass away. Which ain't gonna be never. He said, my word will never pass away. So I go to him in this covenant. I say, Father, look here. There's a covenant between you and the Lord Jesus and I'm joint heir to the thing. There's what you said. And God will say, yeah, I said it. I never change. I'm not going to take any of it back. Well, then according to you, I'm healed. That's right. My body don't know that. And he's always said to me, well, tell it. Tell it. Tell your body it's healed. You mean my body can hear me? Well, I don't know, Joe. Can your body hear you? Tell it to get up and see if it does. It ain't gonna get up without you. Right? Stand up. See, there your body did just what you told it to do. Didn't it? Now sit back down. Now let's take one of these folks over here that the devil's told them they can't make their body do what it wants to do. It's got some kind of malfunction in it. Well, in the first place, this covenant covers new parts. It covers repair. And the thing, the thing that you need to do is start talking to that body and tell it to obey God's Word. Now, that's the time we're talking about it from the time after what the book of Hebrews says, we're going to read here in a minute, it says, after you've done the will of God or acted on this copy of his will, then by faith and patience, maintain until you inherit that promise in your body. You see what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, it'll work. 
But now, it won't work if you just play around about it. It won't work just doing it a time or two here and there and the other time, you know. This is something you've got to get with, brother. Particularly if your body's arguing back with you and won't mind you. Well, just get right on its case. The Bible says, with your tongue, you control your body. Book of James, second and third chapter. With your tongue, you control your body. Now, let's go back here at the book of Hebrews now and let's, let's take off from that as our springboard and let's continue to read in this sixth chapter, verse 16, for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife or all debate. Once blood has been shed, or once it has been sworn in bread and wine, then there is no more debate about whether it's your will or not. Because once it is sworn in a blood oath, it doesn't make any difference if you do change your mind. You're bound to that blood contract in the way you swore it the day you swore it. Isn't that true? Well, now, we know that's definitely true with God because he don't ever change his mind. So if he ever said it, it's so. Now, the, where, the place and the wherewithal the people get all frightened and tore up about it is by not understanding that, particularly Western-minded people. This is an Eastern-minded book. Western-minded people are so civilized. They have all of the traits of blood covenant, go through all the practices and don't even know what they mean. Let me show you what I mean. Have you ever done this? Jack, I'll just use you. Have you ever done this? Huh? Everybody does. You do it every day, don't you? There hadn't been too many years back. You didn't do that just for fun. You didn't do that the first time you ever saw somebody. Unless you explained what you were doing, you were just getting acquainted and you said, as you shook hands, that you were just meeting. This is not a promise. It is my pleasure to make your acquaintance. You know why that handshake is there? It represents this. There was a covenant practice, particularly in Europe, of cutting circles around the thumb and binding the thumbs together and then swear. The deal was made in blood. Families were joined in blood. This is the way many tribes, many tribes all over Europe, a lot of the Indian tribes, I'm talking about India, not American Indians, but a lot of the Indian tribes married this way. The gypsies, a lot of the different gypsy tribes marry this way by cutting a circle around the thumb, binding the two thumbs together of the bride and the groom, and they swear their oaths together like that. Now, you ain't going to have near as many divorces like this. In the first place, you ain't going to have near as many marriages. Amen. That fella gets out that razor, whoa, wait a minute here. <laughs> and ain't nobody told me this. You stand there and swear in blood. And I'll tell you, something happens, brother, when you swear and mix in blood over something. I mean, something, it's in it, you can't explain it. It's just something happens inside the human nature when that occurs.